Welcome back to Crosswalk.com's Inside the Editor's Room podcast, where we give you a look at how our editors tackle the trends and issues of the day from a Christian perspective. I'm Stephen McGarvey, the Editor-in-Chief here for Crosswalk.com, and I'm joined today by our design editor, Rachel Dawson, and our managing editor, Sean McAvoy. Kelly Givens is on vacation, so it's just the three of us this week. We're very excited to bring you episode eight of the podcast because in our first segment, Sean McAvoy interviews pastor and author Max Lucado about his new book, Anxious for Nothing, Finding Calm in a Chaotic World. And then in our second segment, we ask, should the Christian life be radical or ordinary? People sometimes disagree. Followed by our final regular segment, check this out. So Sean, um, Max is a big deal in the Christian space, and we've interviewed him a few times, and um, he's got a lot of, uh, uh, like, dozens and dozens of books out over the years. I remember um, going back uh, to date myself again, back when I was in high school in, in the late 80s, is uh, when he sort of came on the scene in the Christian space, and um, people were uh, very much uh, appreciative of his his writing and his work, and uh, his... Uh, Notability has not diminished in that time. So now he's, uh, he's tackling the issue of anxiety in his, his new book, Anxious for Nothing, Finding Calm in a Chaotic World. Uh, what did you learn from, from Max and your, your time on the phone together? Well, it's interesting, Steve. You're right, first of all, about um, – I, I first found Max late 80s, early 90s, and he's actually uh, – the, the reason I wanted to uh, become you know, kind of, of, a, of a Christian writer and, and get into the field. So he's um, like an inspiration to you. He sure. was uh, an inspiration to me. So it was, it was a big deal for me when I first got to interview him a few years ago, and now we've gotten to talk uh, several times about the books he's had coming out over the years. Um, Anxious for nothing. Um, very interesting topic. So many people I know personally, um, being diagnosed with anxiety these days beyond even, uh, just depression. Um, there's uh, a lot of people who are, who are going on medication for that, even in, in the Christian space. And Max takes some space in the beginning of the book to talk about how this is, and you'll, you'll hear this coming up in the discussion. It's, it's very much an American kind of uh, issue. And Max says we kind of lead the world in it. Um, so why, though? Um, you, you, you know, Paul tells us to be anxious for nothing, and that's where the title of, of Max's book comes from. And he he plays off of the, the you know, the next couple of passages in that section of Philippians 4 to, to really uh, make the skeletal structure for, for this book. Um, and so we, we get at some of that there, and we get at some of the... Um, some of the things we can do as Christians to try and overcome things that make us anxious. We, and you'll, you'll hear that we'll, we'll ask, you know, whether it's a sin for a Christian to be anxious or, um, uh, you know, what some of Max's suggestions are. So let's hear from uh, Max Lucado now. Let me start by asking you, if we Christians uh, believe and know that Jesus is our Prince of Peace and and that uh, he brings us a peace that passes understanding. Why are we so prone to anxiety? Well, uh, it's, it's a part of it is just this anxiety-driven world in which we live. It's, it's, it's a, literally a place of chaos. I think uh, we cannot underestimate how unique this generation is in comparison with others. You know, as people list the reasons that uh, anxiety is off the charts, uh, psychologists and and researchers always point to the fact that our world has changed more in the last 30 years than in the last 300 combined. Uh, it's a faster world. Nobody has ever been able to go as fast as you and I can in our cars, in our planes, 
and also in our communication. Uh, there's hardly a place we can go that we're not getting news, and oftentimes that news is not good news. And then most of all, it's just a secular society in which we live in the United States, and secularism sucks the peace out of people uh, because we don't have a way of coping with the, with the fears that, that come. And so there's many reasons uh, that even Christians uh, feel this anxiety. Kind of along those lines, you make the point in the book that we Americans would pretty much take the gold medal in anxiety. Yeah. Why, why do you think citizens in countries with uh, fewer possessions or more difficulties or more persecution um, are more tranquil, generally? Is that not the most interesting thing, Sean? Uh, and I've wrestled with that. I mean, but, there, but there, one of the more interesting statistics I came across is that uh, people in third world countries are far more at peace and less battle uh, lower levels of anxieties than we do, uh, even though they have many of the uh, fewer of the of, of the uh, conveniences that we do. Uh, and when they come here, when they come here, their anxiety level uh, picks up. It's as if our our anxiety uh, is is contagious. Uh, I think there are two reasons for that. By and large, uh, people in third world countries uh, are faith are faithful people. <laughs> mm. they, they 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 seem to be people of, of of a deeper faith, maybe by necessity. And then number two, their days and their lives are simpler. They they are a reflection of the day that my you know great granddad must have had when he could go no further than his horse could go on a given day, whereas I could go. You know, if, if opportunity pre- presented itself, so I could be on an airplane for 17 or 18 hours. Uh, and, and so my days are, are far longer than, than theirs. I think in, in third world countries, there is a more of a respect to time and, and their days shut down when the sun goes down. And so some real practical things like that, I think, have, a, have an influence on that. On, on their anxiety level. Well, understanding then that this book is going to, you know, be a big topic with just how many Americans are being diagnosed with anxiety. Tell us a little bit about what you write about in the book about how to get C A L M calm. First, we celebrate God. Then we ask God for help. We leave the problem with God, and then we meditate on good things. So basically, the idea of the book is to help people have a, have this as a tool with which to respond to the presence of anxiety. Again, anxiety is going to come. Uh, the presence of anxiety, that anxiety will always knock at the door, but we don't have to invite anxiety in for dinner. So if, if Paul tells us to be anxious in nothing, and, and we know that anxiety will come, but is it a sin then to be anxious for a Christian? Anxiety is not a sin. Anxiety is an emotion, and, and emotions in and of themselves are not sins. But they can certainly lead to sins, can't they? You know, if I take my, if I allow my anxiety to drive me into uh, binge drinking or binge shopping, or I allow my anxiety to cause me to be withdrawn from my family for whom I'm uh, been assigned to, to be a caregiver, or if I allow my anxiety to make me bitter or angry or to lash out or to try to get back, then 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 sin uh, surfaces as a result of inappropriately dealing with anxiety. But but anxiety is an emotion. It is emotion like sadness. It is emotion like guilt. It is emotion like joy. And so the emotion in and of itself is not sinful. But if it's not dealt with appropriately, it can cause us to make decisions that we will certainly regret. 
So now, Rachel, you've uh, you've read the book too. Was there anything uh, interesting that you you have or, or take away there? Yeah, I think it was interesting how he talked about the whole um, the world has changed more in the last thirty years than in the last um, couple hundred. And sure. I think, obviously, being the youngest person on the team, I um, I feel like I've grown up a lot with social media and with internet kind of all coming at the same time. And um, I'm pretty open about the fact that I do struggle with anxiety and depression, and that's a thing that I've kind of had to work through what that looks like and how um, I both kind of hold the tension of, like, feeling those things with also holding on to faith and having hope um, in Christ despite feeling anxious. And um, I found that social media and technology and all of these things um, are such a factor in all of that for me. And I found that I've often needed to kind of step back from some of those things and take space from that. Um, And I think— you know, 50 years ago, that was clearly not an issue. 20 years ago, it was hardly an issue. Even 10 years ago, it, people didn't have iPhones in their pockets all day long. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's been really interesting to kind of look at and to figure out a new balance of how do I exist in this culture where the world does look like this, um, but not give in to anxiety being the ruler over my life and the constant, um, I don't know, kind of like a dictator of my emotions and feelings. And um, I think his acronym of CALM was helpful, that looking at um, how we can celebrate and ask, leave, and meditate, and um, I don't know, just to kind of have that mindset and that framework for kind of working through anxiety when it does come up and having, um, I know for myself, to have a kind of a game plan of like, okay, I'm starting to feel these things, now what do I do about it? An acronym like that is a helpful tool that I appreciate um, that he gave through this book. Mm-hmm. It, it almost seems like in years past before so, social media, it was much easier to be purposeful about um, limiting the influence of outside factors if you needed to. It's like if you didn't watch the news, you know, and you didn't, um, uh, you know, you didn't pick up a newspaper, there was a lot <laughs> less to be anxious about in the world. And now it's almost like, there's a shotgun approach. You've got to be much more intentional about if you like to to sort of uh, keep all of the – there's so many things. It seems like there's so many more things to be anxious about. And I, I think that the reality is there aren't that many more things to be anxious about. It's just that we are consuming so much media at such a – uh, uh, a higher rate and there's so many more uh, avenues with which anxious news can get to us. You know, there's so many more ways to communicate with the world and with people that um, it can be uh, very difficult to not let that pile up and, and, and weigh us down. He said something in the book that I really liked a lot. He said, others see the problems of the world and wring their hands. We see the problems of the world and bend our knees. I think that's the difference that I found, that it's so easy to get caught up in seeing people like posting about this bad news and then freaking out about it and then responding to the other person freaking out. And you kind of – it escalates so quickly into this state of like frenzy and panic and that does not help feeling anxious. That makes everything worse. But We we tend to whip each other into a frenzy online about the things that we're – you know, that we have concerns about. Yeah. such a different picture to think about seeing the problems, not that they're not, not there, not that anxiety isn't real, not that these things don't exist, but how do we kind of see them but then choose to like turn toward Christ and to bend our knees and to find this kind of alternative to, I don't know, just the insanity of all of those feelings. Yeah. I love that he he was very purposeful both in the interview and in the book about um, how anxiety isn't a sin, it's an emotion. And I think that in times past, especially Christians, 
um, have struggled with that. I think that there, there's certainly been – As he put it, we'd be anxious about being anxious. Exactly. There's, there's certainly been a, a, a movement I re- uh, that I remember in the past where it's like if you're, you're anxious about anything, that's just you sinning. That's just you not giving up to God the things uh, that belong to God and, and just let your worry go. And I, I think that um, – I think that the world and I think that our faith is and our emotions are much more complicated than that kind of cut and dry approach of any anxiety you feel uh, is is you uh, handling the world improperly. Yeah, Max really does a good job of covering that. And, and one thing I always like about his books is he has a unique way of defining everything. And he he um, he kind of makes sure that you you are clear with him. He kind of plays it right down the middle, and and he makes sure that while Paul he. Uh, it's kind of, of funny. He says, Paul doesn't seem to offer any leeway here. It's, it's enough to make us wonder if the apostle Paul was out of touch with reality when he wrote, be anxious for nothing. Um, but he clarifies to make sure that we know that it, Paul's not saying that we can't, that anxiety won't come, that, that we won't, you know, that he makes all sort of distinction between, you know, fear being a real threat and anxiety being an imagined threat, but it's still going to touch us nonetheless. Just saying it's, it's not God's will that we lead a life of perpetual anxiety and that when that's going on, there, there may be something spiritual. There may be a biblical remedy that we can, can get with there that we may be needing to come to an understanding of where this is coming from in our lives. And that's where I think his book is most helpful. Mm-hmm. Now, it seems like uh, Christians are much more um, open to discussing issues of anxiety and depression where they come, uh, wh- where there is a clinical basis for, for these things, where they're, you know, we're much more open to talk about mental illness now and not just sort of dump everything that falls into a potential mental illness as a as a sin problem. Does Max talk about that in this book? Because it seems like yes, there you know there is a spiritual and emotional component to anxieties that we feel, but there certainly can also be a physical chemical component to it as well. Um, you know, more when he has written on other subjects, and and he he does touch on it here that look. Uh, Getting, getting counseling and, and, and going on medication is something that you may need to do. He doesn't discount that at all. He's mostly, I think, here just trying to give us a guide and a framework as he does so often with taking a section of scripture that we, we love and we may take for granted. Max, Max says that Philippians 4, uh, would would be on, on his scriptural wall of fame along with others like John 3.16 and Psalm 23. Um, but maybe we haven't considered the the whole be anxious for nothing and and everything that follows it um in a certain light and and uh you know like he said he breaks that down into sections of that he said you know gives the acronym C A L M um no that that's but it's just again it's it's minor advice here i i know that uh um he does recommend actually getting legitimate help for the, for when these uh, these threats you know overwhelm us. I like what he said in the book a lot about do not meditate on the mess. Yes, don't meditate uh, on the mess. I think even though I, I think the problem a little bit with us being a more open about talking about these things is there's sometimes a tendency I feel like to kind of glamorize it of like oh I struggle with this and it kind of becomes this excuse I guess sometimes for our actions or our behaviors or the things that. Um, maybe aren't as glorifying to the Lord. And I think it's helpful to remember um, 
just what is important to meditate on and to really like that versus to think about what is true and what is noble and what is right and all these, what is lovely and admirable, um, and to meditate on those things instead of on the anxiety and not to give it more Mm -hmm. kind of power or sway or hold on us than it really deserves. Because like you said, at the end of the day, it's an emotion and it's not everything. Yeah. It does seem like no matter what your worldview or affliction or opinion is on any any number of hundreds of different different issues and topics, you can find a group of people online who will support you in what you what you think and what you feel, and um, that can be a powerful tool to help you um, deal with things in a better way. Or it can be something that uh, really brings you down and pushes you in the wrong direction. That's why I like, you know, in, in uh, Philippians 4, 4, 7, and 8, um, it, where it would, or actually starting in verse 6 with do not be anxious about everything. Max breaks that down and, and, uh, Rachel just brought up the meditate section, which was, is the M in his calm acronym at, at the end. And where, and rather than dwelling on the mess, um, Max says, let's do verse 8, whatever is, True, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. I love that because in the last 10 to 20 years, the only times I hear that section of this verse quoted is when somebody is telling me that I can't go see a certain movie. (laughs) And wow, how much more does it mean in context when it's actually telling us, look, this is the peace of God which transcends all understanding, verse 7 uh, now guard your hearts and minds by thinking and dwelling upon these things rather than all the things that are really, really weighing you down and causing you to have an anxiety that is not from God. So w- how much more does it mean? I'm not just trying to say that, you know, it doesn't mean we shouldn't uh, take in certain types of art that may be, you know, uh, corrupting us from the inside out. I-, I just think it means so much more. Yeah, it's a mental shift mm-hmm. to better things. So guys, we've uh, we've noticed a trend amongst the uh, Christian bloggers uh, that we read from time to time. Uh, it seems like lately there are a lot of people writing about um, being ordinary and how uh, being ordinary is the way to go uh, in your Christian walk. And don't be obsessed with uh, doing radical things or don't be depressed when your life doesn't seem like um, – you're you're out there doing amazing things that are notable uh, to to the rest of the world. Sort of, and it, it seems in some regard, some respect, that it is a response to David Platt's book, which came out in 2010, I believe, um, called Radical, where he he sort of advocated a um, don't uh, a perspective of you know don't don't be ordinary, and I think that a lot of that is um, people. Uh, there's a lot of conjecture as to what David Platt meant rather than taking him at face value and what he wrote in the book. But, you know, I know I have a lot of friends who were very influenced by the book Radical and, you know, some of whom uh, changed their lifestyle. You know, they sold sold off possessions and uh, advocated moving to the inner city and doing uh, – living a life that's much more ministry-focused. And then a few years later um, – 
uh, Michael Horton wrote a book called Ordinary where he sort of it's it seemed again it seemed like he was talking past what David Platt was actually saying, but sort of like a, a reminder to people that um, ordinary doesn't mean necessarily be mediocre. It just there is there is great um, uh, there is greatness in the ordinary in the day to day of you know of how we live our lives for Christ. So um, I'm curious to know what, you know what you guys think about all that. Have you guys read anything? recently that that debates that like like I have yes there there is as you mentioned a lot of content in the last few years about and I think it comes from some to some extent um, this response to Radok to another extent it comes from the Facebook comparison type mm-hmm. stuff that goes on and another it just comes from the the tensions of of living the Christian life yeah Jesus did live uh, he's our, our model our example and he did live a a radical existence. I, I once wrote a devotional about how I, I rather kind of envied him for having no place to lay his head. I, I think it does handicap me sometimes in, in living a very Christian walk by, by having so much to lose. Um, on it the seems, other hand, it seems yeah. to me though that, you know, you're the average Christian out there reading all of this stuff. Like what, what is the message? Like what mm-hmm. do we, what do we do with that? Are we to focus on, living life differently in a radical sense or are we to focus more on being ordinary well which one of you which one are you struggling with at the time would be my question i mean it's like uh if you know if you're if you're feeling you know way too bogged down like that you're not doing enough i i think the message is for you like god can use you where you are and there's freedom and grace in this neither neither extreme just like everything in the in the Christian life, do I do I speak the truth or, or am I loving? Well, you're not meant to go so far to either extreme that you become an absolute Bible bludgeoning jerk on the one hand, or a, a wishy washy nothing means anything kind of person on on the other hand. Um, it's it's there's a lot of grace here. It's like well, you need to know that if you are in the job you don't want right now, or um, you feel like everyone is doing more than you for the kingdom. That's okay. God may still have you where you, where he wants you. But if you are in a rut, maybe you need to try something radical and different in your life and, and follow more after the model of Christ. I've always been somebody that takes a very black or white approach. This is something that for a while I felt very much like I need to be on, I need to do all the things that radical says to do, or I need to like be totally content and like where I am and be fun with that and put my roots down and just really like be present here. And I think I'm learning in a lot of this to find that gray area and that there's a lot of like it's healthier almost to be in that place of like you said, if this is where I am, what are the things that I can do that um, that do like fuel my fire and my desires and also glorify the Lord and kind of co-work with Christ in where I am and not feel like, oh, I have to, you know, sell everything and go be in the Peace Corps or go be a missionary in this other country or do the world race that everybody else is doing in these 11 countries in 11 months or all of that. And also that there's something to be said for just this is where I am and I do have a nine to five job and, you know, what do I do in that? Like you were talking about, Sean, of um, finding the kind of more radical things in the ordinary lifestyle that I have. Um, But it's an interesting place to kind of be in that. I think there is a middle zone. I think it's a good place to be of combining kind of this is what my life looks like right now, but also how do I be open to what Christ might be doing that might be a step out of the comfort zone still where I am, and sure. how do I kind of have that awareness to see that and that um, willingness to engage with that and to be faithful 
wherever he calls you or wherever he asks you to stay. And You know what, Rachel, I, I think just to, it's a slight switch of the talk. I, that middle zone, I think we Christians have a hard time understanding that middle zone because we think it means lukewarm yeah. or, or uncommitted. Right. Whereas right. I would argue that many times it means balanced yeah. and that, and that there are paradoxes in the Christian life that we can, we can reconcile um, that, that aren't necessarily contradictions. And it's that kind of thing. And that it, when I live in that balanced way, it can help me see something like, my air conditioning goes out. Well, that's not because I'm living too radical or too ordinary a life to to deal with it. Maybe that I can just view it as, wow, this will get me out into my neighborhood now, and and maybe I can uh, meet some needs or get to know somebody I, I haven't gotten to know, or a solution can present itself. So um, just being open to seeing, you know, knowing that it's okay to be where you are, but it's also Gosh, there's a whole world of grace out there and a whole lot of opportunities. And, and, uh, you know, you don't have to, you aren't stuck where you are. You can go live those. I loved, uh, I loved Radical when it came out. I, I don't remember a lot of it, but I remember its impact, you know, when I, I read it when it first came out. And, um, it certainly did, you know, did shake some people up and, and sort of, you know, there, we should, as Christians, we should never, I think, be in a, in a place where we're not willing to reassess what's going on around us and what's going on in our lives from a from a biblical perspective and you know time and knowledge about scripture and wisdom and the influences around us um, certainly are factors in how we we take those things in and apply them to our lives i i just i appreciated his perspective i also appreciated in um, michael horton's book uh, ordinary where he sort of steps back and looks at the cultural factors that are sort of pushing us, um, you know, to be certain, be a certain way. And he, Horton blames a lot of the over-focus on the radical, on, you know, a misguided sense of revivalism and, you know, the way we, we have such a, he believes such a youth focused culture, uh, right now that's, that's sort of bled into the church and, um, I can certainly appreciate both perspectives there. And, and Horton says um, in a blog about his book that um, we need to keep in mind that athletes and architects and humanitarians and artists can vouch for the importance of everyday faithfulness to mundane tasks that lead to excellence. But even if we're not headliners in our various callings, it's enough to know that we are called there by God to maintain faithful presence in his world. We look up in faith toward God and out toward our neighbors in love and in good works. You don't have to transform the world to be faithful, to be a faithful mom and dad, sibling, church member, or neighbor. And I think where we get tripped up is um, with with all of that. And this is the end quote. This is me talking, <laughs> not, not yeah, Michael Gordon. Right, right. yeah. um, where we get tripped up in that is we we forget that the ordinary things that that we see that God has called us to are actually quite radical when you're looking at them outside of a Christian worldview and that's where we we let the we let the we let our own emotions and our own anxieties and fear keep us from seeing that the simple things that that the gospel leads us to do are actually uh, themselves quite radical. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I think, yeah, so the radical things we do can come from ordinary people too. Take Jesus saying, whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other. Or takes your cloak, uh, give him your shirt too. Give to everyone who asks of you. Um, whoever takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. 
radical statements. Mm-hmm. We don't like to live that way. In, in the moment, in it just seems like a silly thing. Right. Like I haven't, have I really made the world a better place? Right. But, you know, the Bible assures us that we actually have. And you know who can do that? Ordinary people. I mean, this is when Jesus is telling the story. It's the Samaritan who passes along ordinary guy not not the priest not the levite it's it's just the the ignored guy who is going to take care of this guy give his money to put him up somewhere and take care of him and those opportunities can come our way at any time or or any day so are are you willing to embrace the radical opportunity in the midst of your ordinary day that's the question for me And that brings us to the segment of our podcast we like to finish with every week about the things that uh, we found uh, out in our our exploration of the Christian space that are making us happy. Um, we call this Check This Out, and we'll, st- uh, we'll lead off this week with Rachel Dawson. I found a list this week by um, Deidre Riggs, and she shared 100 books by Christian authors of color. And it's a fascinating list. There are all sorts of um, incredible books of really covering all sorts of topics and um authors of color that are of all different colors, which is really cool. And um, what prompted her to share this list was looking at the Amazon list of top 100 Christian books. And on that list of 100, she only saw three by authors of color. So this list was her response of like, we need to change this. And we want to kind of encourage people to be reading a more diverse um, things from more diverse authors. And I really appreciate that a lot. I've been making much more of an effort in my own life to read books by um, all different sorts of authors, whether their beliefs are different or their um, skin colors are different or just wherever they are on any sort of spectrum, I'm trying to kind of diversify my reading there. So this is an awesome list. There are really great books to be found here, and I will share the list in the show notes so everyone else can check these out. And hopefully that Amazon list will start to look a little more diverse here soon. What about you, Steve? Well, I um I recently took the opportunity to check out a show on Netflix called The Crown, which oh, I, everyone I know likes The Crown, which I uh, <laughs> which I I put off for quite a while because I thought it looked boring and, and not something that I w- would be interested in. Although I do tend to like British uh, British television. I made that mistake with Downton Abbey at first. Too. I did I did as well. I I liked Downton Abbey just fine, and um, I was uh, struck by how. How fascinating it was to look at somebody like Queen Elizabeth II. That's the story. It's basically about her, her uh, coming to power uh, when she ascended to to be the Queen of England. Um, you know, as as we look at Queen Elizabeth today, you you know, even for someone old like me, Rachel, who was <laughs> growing oh, up in the eighties, it. um, be the title of your autobiography. Old like, like me. Old like me. No, it's like it's. Queen Elizabeth doesn't is not someone you look at today, and, and it, you have to remember. Oh yeah, she was young once, and um, the the show just is this fascinating look at what it must have been like for her at such a young age to to come to power, and uh, what that meant for her husband, and what that uh, what her relationship was like with um, with the older statesmen around her, who were who some of whom. Uh, were very dismissive of her, others who were trying to guide her and help her. Um, and the acting is some of the the greatest acting I've seen on television. I, I don't wow. say that. I know no, that sounds should. like hyperbole. I don't mm. say that lightly. But I was blown away by uh, Claire Foy's performance and Matt Smith, who, uh, like I am a, a Doctor Who fan, people will recognize him as, a, as Doctor Who. Um, Matt Smith, who played uh, Prince Philip, and then uh, John Lithgow, who played 
um, uh, Winston, Winston Churchill. It just yeah. I've seen that's fr- good casting. Almost I, you know, when I first heard that John Lithgow was going to be Winston Churchill, I sort of like, oh, come on, really? Not Third John Rock Lithgow. from the Sun, exactly. Third Rock from the Sun. The goo- he's, and he said he does comedy so well. Um, that I was so amazed and moved by his performance of Winston Churchill. And I, I'm kind of a fan of Winston Churchill. I think I've seen almost every single performance of, of Winston Churchill on film. Um, to see John Lithgow portray Churchill as like this elder statesman who is at the end of his career, uh, was so incredibly moving. I, I can't say enough good about, uh, his performance or, or Claire Foy's performance. Netflix did such an amazing job putting this together and and I just loved it when I expected that oh, I'll just watch it because everybody's talking about it and um I found it very interesting and moving uh as a take on some of these historic uh say historic people. So wow. yeah, The Crown is available on Netflix. Netflix. <laughs> Get your Netflix on Netflix. Yeah. That'll be my ripoff brand I start. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but um yeah, I just loved it. I I think that uh that people should check it out. Wow, considering Downton is the last show my wife and I actually watched together, had a together show, maybe maybe this can be the next one. Well, you guys know how how you, you'll be scrolling through the Facebook feed and you'll see an article posted by a, a friend from high school. And when it's titled something called, I love beer and Jesus, it, it might catch your eye. It might catch my eye. Um, I, I had not been to Pastor Scott Saul's blog called God, People, Places, and Things before. Um but Scott has a guest post this week, and so he only writes a paragraph himself, and then he introduces this post written by uh, a member of his congregation. And and Scott starts it off by saying, you know, you know, every now and then God throws something a pastor's way to remind said pastor that the gospel is sinking into the congregation he serves. And so he uh, he has a guest piece here, something that one of his lay people had written titled "I Love Beer and Jesus," and it's. It's really a fascinating take, and it's not really about what you think it's about. It's not just in saying, I'm going to have my beer, and here's why. Um, it's just a guy saying, look, I'm a normal guy. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty smart. I've really looked at everything in, in, in my life. And he's really writing to friends and, and his family and his kids explaining why um, he has come to the conclusion that Jesus and Christianity uh, are the way. I wanted to share with you um, one one quick quote here where he says, um, why Christianity? I told my wife a few months back that there are two groups of people in general that irritate me more than any other, rich people and Christians. This is ironic since my chosen profession centers around rich people and my chosen faith is Christianity. In the public square, some who claim to be Christians come across as hateful, self-righteous, two-faced, hypocritical, conceited, closed-minded idiots. From gay bashing to racism. Yes, doesn't mince words there, does he? Christians have often been at the forefront. On a more selfish level, my Dislike of Christians may stem from the fact that I like to have fun and a lot of Christians seem like duds. I'm going to leave that there as a little bit of a tease because um, what he goes on to say is that, you know what, that that stereotype right there is just that. It's, it's a stereotype. The, the, uh, the Christians you think are, are representing us are not the ones you want to study. You want to study the ones who are, you know, too busy doing other things, too busy living out um, the, the call of Christ in their lives to, to bother with that kind of thing. Um, so it's very uplifting and it's, it, it really is great coming from just a member of the congregation who is listing out all these great reasons for why to follow Jesus and, and why to be a Christian. Um, and, you know, even when you are, as he calls himself, 
Um, someone who really likes beer and drinks too much of it and yells at his, my kids way too much. So um, way to go, Jeff Hayes and, and Scott Sauls for, for, you know, passing that along. It's something I think we can all get something out of, even if the section I, I read maybe got under your skin a little bit. Maybe that was my intention. So. Well, that brings us to the end of our show today. Thank you, Rachel and Sean, for joining me to chat about these things. Thanks to Steven Sanders, our audio engineer, who kept all the uh, the technical stuff going. You can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash crosswalkpodcast. To find more on the topics we talked about today or to listen to past episodes, be sure to visit our site, insidetheeditorsroom.com, and be sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or wherever fine podcasts are sold to get the latest episodes downloaded right to your phone. Thanks for listening.